We're reading from Psalms 139. It's on your, it's on your newsletter if you want to read along. Um, one of, I'm sure it's one of my favourite psalms and I know everybody else would love this. It's got a lot, so much teaching for us. So we thank the Father that his word is life to us. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to, your, to your, you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. God, how vast is the sum of them. Where, where, I to, where do I count them? They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in, rebellious against, in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. May God bless his word to us. Now, sounds okay in this one. One, two, one, two. Beautiful. I want you to be able to hear me. Um, just one thing I need to say before I begin. This hand here has a tremor in it because I was diagnosed with Parkinson's about two years ago. And so I didn't want you to look up there and think, oh, is he really nervous or is he really angry with us? Okay, it's just Parkinson's. I call it my spirit hand because if the spirit is at work, the hand will be moving, okay? The hand will be moving, so don't be concerned. 
Um, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to look at this incredible passage together. Let me pray. Father God, we're just so blessed to sit under your word this morning. You are a God who speaks. You didn't just speak in the ancient past, but we believe that you, by your spirit, are in this hall this morning up here in Neban's head, and we believe that you will speak through your word into our lives individually. Father, I don't know many people here, very few people here at all, Lord, but you know them. And you want to speak to them, and so we pray and we expect that you will in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, do you ever look at other people's relationships and wish you had that relationship? I think the classic place it happens for me is if I ever look on social media. You look on Facebook, and everyone's relationships look amazing. And so you see, you see these couples that, you know, they're taking a selfie together and massive smiles on their faces and families that are just getting on or brothers and sisters just loving each other or big group family photos and everyone looks really, really happy. You know in reality there's no way in the world they're that happy. But you can't help yourself thinking, I want to have that sort of relationship. A close one, an intimate one, a really joyous one. I wonder, do you feel like that after you read Psalm 139? Uh, is, is there a part of you that as you read about King David's intimacy with God, you think, oh, I want that relationship? If you're honest with yourself, you sometimes just struggle even remembering God's there. You're just kind of wandering through life and you occasionally remember him there and you see this relationship David had with him and you think, oh, I want that. Well, this morning as we reflect on this psalm, I think the psalm's going to teach us as we see it as a part of the whole Bible that as a follower of Jesus... You have a closer relationship than David himself had. So as much as we might marvel at David's intimacy with God, a Christian has a more incredible relationship because of what Jesus has done. But it's not about us knowing God, but more importantly, the fact that God has reached down to know us, to know us. Uh, we don't know a lot about the context of this psalm. We know it's written by King David. Uh, from the psalm itself, it seems like he's going through a bit of a tough time. Um, and it's at this time he writes one of the most intimate prayers he writes in the entire book of Psalms, uh, expressing his relationship with God, or more importantly, God's relationship with him. All right, so you're going to see an outline up on the screen. It'll take you through it, and the Bible verses will be up there as well. The first thing we see David say is, well, see, first thing we see is that God knows David. So look with me at verse 1. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and, you, and known me. So David starts by thinking about how he is comprehensively known by God. Now, what David's teaching here is not what we typically call om, or theologians or people who write big books call omniscience. He's not just talking about omniscience. That's the idea that God knows everything about everyone and everything. Okay, that's omniscience. God knows everything about everyone and everything about the world. David is saying here, the God who made everything and sustains everything knows me personally. He knows my... He knows what makes me me. He knows my inner person. So verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. All right? it's, a, it's a poetic way of saying you know everything that I do from beginning to end of my day. You know everything. But second, keep reading verse 2. You discern my thoughts from afar. You, you search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. David's saying, you know my thoughts, you know my motivations, you know my dreams, you know my desires, you know everything there is to know about the inside of me. You know my plans for the future, you know everything. Keep reading verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, 
Lord, you know it all together. Before David even says a word, God knows what he's going to say. He can predict his word. God has this intimate, deep, personal knowledge of David. It's not just God's up in heaven and he knows everything about everything. He, he knows David. He's in an intimate relationship with David. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Now, this idea of hemming in, it's not to confine, all right, but it's to protect. Uh, God has protected David throughout his life. As David looked at his life and he, he saw how Saul wanted to kill him for a whole bunch of time, and yet David, God protected him. Uh, 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 Goliath wanted to kill David at one stage. Absalom, his son, David is reflecting on the fact that God's hand has, was on him, his hand of blessing, his hand of protection, his hand of grace. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. You see, David, as he's writing this, he's just overwhelmed by God's deep personal knowledge of him. He's saying, I just can't understand the reality that the God... I went for a walk this morning down to the beach. It's amazing, this place, and it's beautiful. But think that the God who made all of that, David is saying, has decided to personally know me. He's in awe. Firstly, God knows David. Second, God is with David. So verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Okay, whereas before, David wasn't just talking about the idea of omniscience, here, he's not just talking about the idea of omnipresence. Now, the idea of omnipresence is that God is everywhere all the time. He's not just saying that. David is reflecting on the fact that God's personal presence is with him intimately, like a hand on his shoulder. Whether he goes up to the skies or, or into heavens or Shishiel, that's the Old Testament place of like, understanding of the afterlife. Uh, east and west, as far as the wings from the dawn, he's saying east and west, up and down, David says, your personal presence with, with me. There's nowhere I can go, God, without you being with me, intimately with me. Your hand leads me, your hand holds me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The, dark, the, sorry, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. David's saying, it's like your presence with me is, in this, is this constant light that I'm in in the midst of whatever darkness comes in my life. God knew David. God was present with David. Thirdly, God created David. So verse 13, For I formed you, sorry, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed to me as they were, as they, sorry, as yet there were none of them. So David's reflecting on the fact that right from the womb that God had been crafting him. So the multiplication of cells, the making of David's DNA, the the creation of his nose and his ears and his mouth, his brain. David was responsible, sorry, God was responsible for knitting David together right from the beginning. 
And not only that, he says, every one of my days is written in your book. Every one of David's days throughout his life, God would ordain everything that David would do and be in. It's all under God's responsibility. David says, you know me, you are with me, and you crafted me, you created me. Now that's pretty intimate, isn't it? That's pretty intimate. A pretty intimate relationship. That's the sort of closeness. I want to be known by that by God that closely. But what if I said to you that as a Christian, we have a greater intimacy than that? So here's the thing with the Psalms, okay? What we can do as we read the Psalms is we find this really lovely passage in Psalm 139, and then we jump straight to us. So this is what it meant for David. This is what it meant for us. Now I want to suggest to you that there's a step we miss if we go from David straight to us, and that is the fact that the psalm is not just the song of the original writer, whether it was David or the sons of Korah or some unknown psalmist, that the psalms are ultimately the songs, not just of the original people or the prayers, but they're the songs of Jesus himself. All right, so as Jesus lived his life, as he did his works and deeds, he lived the psalms. He he, he spoke the Psalms from the cross in a whole bunch of different places in the New Testament, but the Psalms were, in a sense, ultimately his prayers to the Father. And so if these are the songs of Jesus, what is this coming from the lips of Jesus? Well, firstly, it's saying, Jesus is saying, the Father knows me. He, Jesus enjoyed the most intimate union with his Father, being God the Son, from before eternity passed, and then in the incarnation when he becomes a man, you think about the life of Jesus, he lived consistently in this deep union with his Father. Have you ever wondered why Jesus went to pray? It'd say that Jesus prayed for an entire night. Why, why did Jesus need to pray? <laughs> He's God the Son. He do- Jesus went to pray all night with his father because that's where, that's where he wanted to be. That's, where he, that's what he enjoyed most, being in this intimate relationship with God, his father, where the world wasn't clambering at him, trying to get at him, trying to ask them to heal him, but he was just spending time with his father. Jesus is saying, I, on the lips of Jesus, it's saying the father knows me. The second, the father is with me. Right throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit and the Father was with him, empowering and leading him through, the, through his miracles in the desert. He was present with him through the, the, just before the darkness of the cross. He was with him through the resurrection. Jesus is saying, the Father knows me, the Father is with me, and thirdly, the Father forms me. Think about the virgin birth. God the Holy Spirit comes upon this virgin woman and forms a baby inside her, the Lord Jesus. See, Jesus, as the singer of this psalm, expresses the most intimate relationship with his father, more intimate than David. Yet, what's the gospel? The gospel says that on the cross, the one who had the most intimate relationship with the father lost it. He lost that beautiful intimacy. As he took upon himself our sin, and suffered God the Father's anger for our sin. He didn't do it because of his sin. He did it because of our sin. He did it so that we who trust in him 
might have the intimacy, not just that David had with God, but that he had with God. That we might share through our trust union with Jesus in his death and resurrection, the intimacy that Jesus has with the Father. And so listen to what Jesus prays. This is John 17, verse 20, before he dies. He says, I do not ask for these only, so he's praying for his disciples, the only is the disciples, but for also those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, Jesus is talking about the Father and the Son in this intimate of your unions between the two of them. They are one, and he's saying, I'm saying this, that we might be one with them, that through trust in Jesus, we enter in union with Jesus, and in a sense, we are swallowed up into the very relationships of God himself. We become adopted children of God. God at ultimate cost to himself made a way for you to know him, made a way for him to know you, to be with you, to have the Holy Spirit come to indwell you, which is God himself come to indwell you. If you put your trust in Jesus right there in this moment, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. To create you, not just to create you from the womb of your mother, but to be spiritually recreated. 2 Corinthians says we have become new creations in Christ Jesus. We, Ephesians 2.10, we were created for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. If you have trusted in Jesus, God knows you, he is with you, and he is recreating you in the image of Jesus. And that should lead us into three responses we've got, we see right here. Firstly, how precious. So verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. David is considering here how God knows him, is with him and has formed him. And he is blown away with awe and adoration. That the God of the universe who sustains this incredible creation has sought to know him. And so he humbly praises God for his wisdom and his power and his presence. See, my sense is when you go and chat to a person about their relationship with God, so say after church today I come up and chat to you and say, how are you going with God? How's your relationship with God going? I think our initial feelings is a feeling of guilt, Oh, not too well, you know, I try to get to prayer, I struggle and you know, I'm trying to get into the word a bit more. And I think the problem with it is our starting point when we're asked that question is to think about what we have to do to make relationship with God happen. What do I have to do? I'm not doing the right things to do relationship. David's starting point is different. His starting point is to not start with the guilt over what he has to do, but his starting point is to reflect on what God has done. That God has reached down to know him. That God has reached down to know you. At extraordinary cost to himself, he's done that. To know you. And so we don't start with guilt, we start with awe, don't we? 
We reflect on the fact that God has reached down to know us, to be present with us. How great should our all be? Firstly, how precious. Secondly, how wrong. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. This is the part everyone skips over on Psalm 139, isn't it? You know, everyone, my favourite Psalm is 139, except for verses 19 to 22. And so dot, 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 and then it's the last bit. Um, this is not the part you put on the coffee cup either, isn't it? Like, you know, uh, I hate them with complete hatred. Psalm 139, verse 22. Uh, but in David's mind, this flows. David hasn't got distracted. Uh, it flows. He has recognised the knowledge and the grace and the kindness that God has had in knowing him. He's recognised God's power. He's recognised God's wisdom. And so as he looks at the world that is rejecting that God, it grieves him. It grieves him. He's saying, God, I so identify with you because I recognise that you have united me with you. I so identify with you that I'm against what you are against. I'm upset by what upsets you. And so he is righteously angry. Now, here's the thing. Like I said before, he's David, he's us. Does that mean he's David righteously angry? We should be righteously angry. We would run around and be righteously angry like David. Well, when I say yes, and kind of. <laughs> in my experience, righteous anger is very hard to come by. In a sense, I want to say to you, say to you yeah, go for it, have a go. See how you go with that. Um, and I think, and the reason is because often our anger is not about people's response to God. More often than not, it's about, it's about us. <laughs> We're just upset that they've done something to offend us or done something to get in our way. And so the question becomes, as we're thinking about this passage, how can we be righteously angry? How, do, how can we so identify with God that we're upset by what upsets God? And I think this is a good example of why it's unhelpful sometimes to go straight from David to us. Because we need to see that this psalm on the lips, if it's ever going to be spoken rightly, it was spoken rightly by the Lord Jesus, if this is his psalm. And so Jesus, because Jesus is the one who, who, who's the only one who expressed truly righteous anger, did he not? And so when he cleared the merchants from the temple, when he accused them, uh, when they accused him of working for the devil and he got angry at them, he expressed God's righteous anger for how they were treating God. And so here is Jesus, the one who deserves to be righteously angry more than anything else. Yet the gospel is that as Jesus hung on the cross, he endured God the Father's righteous anger. Why? So that you and I, who deserve God's anger, would be spared. And so what does that do for us? It humbles us, doesn't it? There's no place of more humility than at the foot of the cross to know that Jesus deserved none of that. You deserved it, and he took it for you. He took the Father's anger. And so 
it, the cross gets us to that place of humility and prevents us in our unrighteous anger thinking that we are better than other people. See, that's what happens when you move into unrighteous anger. You start to think, I am the righteous one here and this person has offended my rules and my laws and they've upset me in some way and so I'm going to bring my perfect judgment on that person. Whether it's your kids or whether it's your, your spouse or whether, whether it's someone from work. But the pro- cross says, no, no, no. You can't put yourself up into this place of God sitting above this person and look down on them and bring about your righteous anger and wrath for you and I deserve God's anger and yet Jesus took it for us. And so we are forced into this place of humility. And that humility is the birthplace for a right anger. It's almost like humble anger or or humble grief. That's what I want to say. And so the questions I ask myself as I think about what righteous anger looks like is, first one is, is your anger entrusting judgment to God? All right, so are you trying to play the judge? So the way you know that is, um, are, are you bringing about some sort of aggressive act on that person, whether it's passive aggression through silent treatment or... or, or, uh, or or those, those times where you're communicating just by what you're doing rather than what you're saying, whether it's actively aggressing by yelling at you. First question you want to say, is my, is my anger entrusting judgment to God? Secondly, does your anger result in prayer? Okay, I don't think it's an accident here that David is talking about his enemies in the context of actually talking to God. It's expressed in prayer. He's, he's entrusting it to God. He's saying, God, you should be the judge here because I'm not perfect. And number three, does it flow from your relationship with God? See, I think it's as we walk with Jesus, as we pursue seeing reality as he sees it, that we humbly and imperfectly will be grieved by the world's hatred of God. We'll be upset by what upsets God and we will pray and entrust righteous judgment to him. Now, my, th- my sense is, as I went to pray this morning, this is the part I... This is the part I felt like God pushed me on in thinking about what I was going to say today. I'm not sure what it's like to live in Amber's head, but perhaps sometimes you can just feel like all the bad things of this world are out there and you're kind of in this little cocoon of this beautiful haven called Amber's head. But I think God genuinely calls us as believers to be upset about what upsets him. Not in a self-righteous way like we're better than others, but God calls us to get angry about things that are happening in this world. And I think as I prayed about it this morning, I realised that the anger that we're supposed to express most, is most supposed to go on to Satan himself. Ephesians says, we, are not, we do not go against flesh and blood, but from, against every spiritual principality. We are against Satan and his demons and so it says we come to God as we think, see bad things that are happening in the world and we have that heart that God gives us to be grieved by it, then we are angry, not necessarily at the person themselves, but against Satan and his work in the world and we pray against him. How precious, how wrong, and finally David says, know me. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David just doesn't hate the evil out there. He hasn't got the finger out 
and he's saying, oh, look at all these baddies out there, God. He's saying, God, look at the stuff that's in me. But think about what he's saying here. David begins the psalm saying, God, you know me perfectly. You know me comprehensively. And yet at the end, he says, know me. So, so I'm thinking, David, God already knows you. What is there to know? What, what is there him? The answer is nothing. God does know him comprehensively. And so what David is saying here, it's not about God knowing David better. That's not why he's saying it. David is saying, God, teach me about me. Show me my sin. See, this is critical to understand about growth as a Christian. Knowledge of sin or insight to grow as a Christian does not come by constantly obsessing and thinking about how bad a person you are. I think you sometimes can get the impression that Christians are supposed to be kind of introspective, morbidly introspective, where you look into yourself and think, oh man, that was dodgy, oh, that, oh, that was... and you get obsessed by all the ways you fall short. And so I don't know if you've tried to do that, but what it leads to is this place of complete condemnation, where you just feel like, I feel so heavy because your sin is overwhelming you. No. Knowledge of our sin comes, David's saying here, through relationship with the God who perfectly knows us. And so here's the reality. You don't know yourself as well as God knows you. You don't know yourself as well as God knows you. And so in order to know you more, you need to know him more and be in relationship with him so that what is true about you becomes clear as he reveals it. It's as we relate to God and sit under his word by his spirit that he reveals our person, our hearts, our sin. But here's the incredible thing. At the same time, we, in this relationship with him, as we see him, we don't just see our sin, but we at the same time see his incredible grace. And so it's like you have this really, really bright light that is exposing the the stuff in you that's ugly and yet at the same time the light is so beautiful because it's him and his grace that you are compelled to come to him and confess it to him. And so what happens in that interaction, whereas if you just look into yourself you feel condemned, if you look to him and he reveals it to you, you sense his grace and then you confess it to him, in that interaction of relationship what you're building is intimacy. See that is how you deepen in any relationship. You seek to know the other person and you reveal what is inside you to the other person as well. God has made us to know him, but more importantly, to be known by him that we might deepen in our relationship with him, that we might, like the psalmist, we might cry out to him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, Psalm 139 is about being in awe that God knows you. He is with you. He is remaking you. To be upset by what upsets you that you might, through relationship with him, reveal yourself to God that you might have a deeper intimacy with him. Last two years, okay? Uh, about two years ago, I, got, uh, I kind of burned out in ministry, had two months off. Uh, 
when I came back from that, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so it was a, it's, been a, it's been a messy time. But as tough as it has been, it has been one of the most relationally rich times in my life with the Lord. And it wasn't because I figured out some secret to spiritual intimacy. It's this thing where God has stripped away a bunch of stuff from my life that what I thought was my life was about. And he's shown me in this much more profound way that I'm not first and foremost a pastor or a father or a husband, but before anything else, I'm his child. I'm his child crafted by him. I'm known by him that I might relate to him. He has shown me my sin that I might confess it to him and know his grace. Friends, if you've trusted in Christ, you are known by God. Not just in a God's up in heaven and he kind of knows about me down there. God is with you. Whether you're going through the roughest of times, you know, when it feels like your world is about this small because you're suffering so much, God is in the midst of that. Whether you've got sin in your life that you're battling with and you feel so isolated and alone because no one else here knows it, God is with you in that. God wants to know you, that you might deepen your relationship with him. So the reason I did this series, this talk, and I did it for a weekend away from my... For, my, for another church a couple of weekends ago and the, the whole context of the weekend was about relationship with God because I feel like you can go through church stuff, you can come to church and you know, read your Bibles and go to Bible study and do all those things but a lot of time you can do all those things and you can miss out the heart of it and that is living in every moment relationship with the Lord and so my prayer for this week and for next week as we look at another psalm is that God would enrich our relationships with him as we sit under his word. So what on I pray? Father, we are in awe of this. In the same way David was in awe, we're in awe that you're a God who has sought to know us at extraordinary cost to yourself. You sent your own son to absorb your righteous anger so that we might not, so that your Holy Spirit could dwell in us, so that you might remake us day by day by day by day. And so this very second... You are with us. This very second, you know there is everything about us. And this very second, you want us to live in constant communion with you, bringing everything that's on our hearts, pouring out our hearts to you, that we might live, that we might believe, not just in a theoretical sense that we're united to you through Jesus, but we might live it, God. In the same way we relate to our wives and our husbands and our kids and our families and our friends, that we might enjoy relationship with you each and every day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.